0: Welcome to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon talking to you from Scottsdale, Arizona. Today we're going to talk about something all of us know about and that's fear. We've all experienced fear. We know the smell of it. We know the taste of it. We felt it as a twinge in the pit of our stomach and as terror that sometimes makes us feel paralyzed. We've ignored it. We've run away from it. We've grappled with it and sometimes we've jumped in feast for feet first to deal with it some people seem to thrive on it and you know get the thrill of accomplishment from it you know, there are all kinds of lists of fears if you google fear if you google you know lists of fears you'll get all kinds of lists and all kinds of different orders you know for example i have two here Um, The the top fear in one list is failure. The second fear is of death. And then they go into rejection, ridicule, and loneliness. Another list that I find really interesting was gleaned from Google searches, how often the terms were searched for. And the top fear on this list is the fear of flying then Public Speaking, Heights, Dark, Intimacy, and Death was ninth. I find that a really interesting list. If you looked at ten lists, you'd probably have ten different lists, completely different. There are a lot of books about fear, and frankly, I didn't want to read one more of them until I got The Fear Project, our guest book today. He wrote a book called The Fear Project, what Our Most Primal Emotion Taught Me About Survival, Success, Surfing, and Love. Now, before I introduce our guest today, I want you to, to go to the website, take a look at his picture, read the book review, go to theselfimprovementblog.com. All of that strung together as one word, theselfimprovementblog.com. I urge you to get his book. You know, Space out some time when you get it because you're not going to want to put it down. It is not a lecture about fear, although he has a lot of information about fear and it's good, solid information, but it's a confrontation between a young man and his fear revealed to you in a very open, transparent, um, fearless, if I can say that, fearless way. Um, I think it's an important book because of the honesty there and because so many of us can identify with what he has to say. Jamal Yogis is an award-winning journalist who has written for ESPN Magazine, The Washington Post, The Surfer's Journal, the Chicago Tribune, notice these are not little tiny publications, Afar, San Francisco Magazine, and many others. His critically acclaimed first book, Saltwater Buddha, is currently being adapted into a film. And I want to talk about that one just a little bit. He has been a guest lecturer at UC Berkeley, Columbia University, and San Francisco State. Jamal is an avid surfer and lives in San Francisco with his wife Amy and his son kai and I am so delighted to welcome you to the show jamal yogis welcome
2: thank you dr Conlin it 's great to be here
0: Oh, I have been looking forward to this i I truly loved your book. I could not put it down and yeah, it didn't make me want to be a surfer. <laughs> I can tell you that. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Jamal. Who is Jamal Yogis?
2: Well, I am a writer. Obviously, is the the biography you just uh, talked about said, but. I have a lot of interest and I think that's why I became a writer I was always one of those kids who wanted to be an archaeologist one week and an actor the next and a psychologist and uh, an anthropologist and writing sort of allowed me to explore all these different areas and, uh, but I've also been passionate about the ocean. I grew up, uh, hopping from town to town as my dad was in the air force but he was also a surfer and at one point when i was very young we lived on uh, the Azorean islands off the coast of portugal yes. for a few years and those were really important years of of my development and we learned to body surf we lived on the beach and um, it was a very happy time for my family and later when my parents divorced um, and we were in landlocked suburbia in Sacramento we'd been moved to another base at that point um my parents divorced and that really started me on sort of a teenage rebellion and uh typical of most teenagers just you know ex- pushing the limits uh with your parents and with boundaries but i decided to take it one step further and i i ran away from home to hawaii um and
0: See, that's it, really interesting to me because I can't imagine how you could get on a plane, how they would let you I on. I know it,
2: it worked. I I swear, you know, the Hawaiian gods were pulling some strings or something because I just got on. <laughs> I just went and bought a ticket and got on, and um, and anyhow, uh, long story short, I uh, that really sort of started me on this path of uh, self reflection uh because when i was when i ran away to hawaii i i realized um it was it was really a sort of a rite of passage and wasn't i don't recommend it to other teenagers but it was a necessary thing for me to do and it brought my dad and i back together and it actually became a topic of my first book saltwater buddha um which is sort of a coming of age memoir about <clears throat> learning lessons about life from the ocean and also outside of the ocean and and then it was really on on book tour for Saltwater Buddha when I was up there doing a lot of public speaking. Excuse me. <clears throat> when I was doing a lot of public speaking, which is the fear of fears, as you, you're listening.
0: Oh, it's time. It's
2: uh, <laughs> for a lot of people, it's you know they say, oh, I'd rather die than have to do public speaking. And uh, I wasn't that afraid of it, but it made me very uncomfortable and, But, you know, five readings in, I suddenly, the fear flipped, and I was having a blast, and I was just being myself, and really enjoyed the next, you know, 20 events that I did. And I thought, what other areas of my life am I not exposing myself to my fears in um, that are holding me back? And when is, because I didn't even really think about public speaking as a fear until I had to do it, and... So that and the fact that I was going through a bad breakup at the time, um, which catalyzes all kinds of fear of loneliness and abandonment and failure, uh, those two things combined made me want to tackle this subject, uh, but I wanted to come at it from both a personal perspective uh, to make to be honest and vulnerable uh, because that's scary uh, as a writer, but also from a neuroscientific and psychological perspective because we're living in such an amazing time when we we can peek into the brain and so those are the stories of of my two books uh, which is, it's not all of me but some of, some of me is there.
0: Well, I haven't read Saltwater Buddha, but I certainly want to, and it's going to be made into a film. Are they going to let you be the surfer in it? <laughs>
2: I am the server, and it's told as sort of a um, a narrative documentary, and and uh, it's being edited right now, and hopefully, we'll be in film festivals this year if it uh, all goes according to plan.
0: That's exciting. I want to go back a little bit because you left your family as a teenager. Where were you in terms of your education? How did you finish school? Because you're you're a wonderful writer. You you had to have some work beyond high school.
2: Yeah, I did, and I was fortunate to have a family that is really emphasizes education. And So even when I ran away, when we were in my rebellion, I made a point to let, <laughs> write a note to my parents that I was going to enroll in high school. <laughs> I wouldn't tell them where I was. <laughs> and I actually, when I got to Maui, I immediately met an Australian surfer who agreed to be my parent guardian to sign me up. But none of that ended up transpiring because as the book, uh, I don't want to give too much away for people who haven't read it, but I, I end up meeting with my dad over there and I, I tell him where I am. And my dad, I was expecting him to send me to military school and, and we'd been estranged for a while since the divorce. And But I kind of felt like this was the time to meet him and tell him how I feel and you know, I made my statement. and. He was very skillful, and he said he just met up with me, and we went surfing. And he he really tried to understand where I was coming from, and, and he said, you know, I was on probation at the time. I'd been in a drunk driving. So if I didn't get back to my probation meeting, I mean, I could have been really in trouble. Right. <laughs> and so he said, look, I understand what you're trying to do. You're trying to make positive changes, but... You have to do this the right way. You know there are laws in this country, and let's go back uh, home, and we'll figure this out. And and so what my parents allowed me to do was study abroad my senior year of high school. So I ended up coming back from Hawaii and then studying abroad in in France. And um, so they were they were smart. They realized they had a, a child who was trying to make. Changes in the right direction, but didn't know how and was dealing with a lot of emotions um, that he didn't know how to deal with and and um, and that was a really crucial experience for me going finishing my degree in in a different country
0: very interesting background um, and th- and during school when you were still in high school, did you realize you really liked to write was that easy for you I, I mean I'm really amazed at your your wonderful fluidity in this book combining so many different things to to make it such a fascinating read and so informative at the same time most people can't do that I mean you have a real gift here so yeah, I really want to know how you developed that
2: Thank you. I mean, I, I couldn't get a higher compliment. Um, I, As all writers, you know, I have anxiety about my own ability to write, and so <clears throat> thank you. It. Uh, I didn't always want to be a writer. As I said, I wanted to do everything, and but I did love to read as a child, and writing always came pretty easily to me. I liked writing stories, short stories, and... I um you know, writing papers and stuff was never difficult for me, but I, I, uh, I didn't think, oh, you know, I, I, that's what I want to do, and it wasn't until, so to continue the story from running away, I went to France, uh, uh being put in a different culture, it was, is really jarring when you're a teenager, because you're suddenly a fish out of water, and you can't rely on your, you know, your old slang and stuff to, to represent who you are and so i was really questioning this like who am i when i was in france and so all these that's when i encountered eastern philosophy and i started devouring all these buddhist texts and i went to see Thich Nhat Hanh, um, the the buddhist wow. monk who lives in palm village exiled to france and I was immediately enamored of this tradition, and I thought I wanted to be a, a Buddhist monk, and I called my mom and said, I think I'm going to join this monastery once I graduate. And uh, At any rate, I did live in a Buddhist monastery for a year after high school, and that really um, made me interested in um, the contemplative traditions. Uh, I didn't end up becoming a monk, but I went on to study... Uh, philosophy and religion in college, and there was kind of two choices: you either get a PhD and become a professor along that route, or you do something else. And I was searching for, you know, what am I going to do with my life? And I found a program at Columbia University that had a was a dual program in religion and journalism. And I thought, well, for most people, that probably means they want to go report in Israel, Palestine, and that wasn't exactly yeah, what I wanted right. to do, but i I thought this could be a really fascinating way to do something to really take on the big questions uh and and do it as, not be locked up in the halls of academia so i went to that i applied to that program and i um, was very surprised <laughs> to get in after going to the university of hawaii and 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 then I realized there that I was i could do this That i was i wasn't bad at this writing thing and um amazingly right when i got out of school i'd written an article about surfing that sort of went viral online and um it was partly about this running away stuff and um and the publisher contacted me and asked me if i wanted to write a book so it it happened. The book writing thing happened fairly naturally. Um, I didn't think I would be doing that until much later in life.
0: Well, we're going to talk about m- much later in life. Although you really don't have a much later yet because you're still nice and young. On that note, we're going to go to break. When we come back, we're going to talk about more of the Fear Project. This is Irene Conlon with my guest Jamal Yoga Singh. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. <laughs>
1: Find out what's happening on the World Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at World Talk Radio. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite World Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network? are you where you want to be in life are you experiencing the happiness that you're entitled to how'd you like to improve your life and well-being take a weekly break to listen to change your mind change your life with your hosts jim and lynn swearingen you'll learn how hypnosis can truly help you rewrite the chapters of your life you'll also learn to change perceptions of what hypnosis is and what it isn't be sure to listen every wednesday at noon pacific time 3 p.m eastern time on the world talk radio variety channel
0: Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon. My guest today is Jamal Yogis, who has written a book, The Fear Project, which is brilliant. I really recommend that you get it, especially if you like to surf. I call him a surfer dude in my mind. Um, But he's a very well-educated, very good-writing surfer dude. Uh, We've been talking about how he got into surfing, a little bit about his background as a writer. Um, and let, let's talk about the Fear Project, Jamal. How did you come to write it? I know that you'd, you, you there were a number of circumstances that brought you to it, but how did you really hone in on writing about fear?
2: It was tough. I, I write in the back of the book, I mean, acknowledgments that, writing this book was the scariest thing I did and I did some scary things to report the book because (laughs) I was um, because I was coming at it from this perspective that I felt that if you are going to write a book about fear you have to be honest with your audience about what you're up to because this is a vast topic and there are multiple opinions on it and the science on the topic is, is vast and so I thought, well, I could write a sort of Malcolm Gladwell type book where I just translate the academic research into a palatable form and, and do that skillfully, and that would be helpful. But um, I also felt like, one, I wanted to figure out fear in my own life and, and use that writing as catharsis. And then I also wanted, that there are these interesting neuroscience studies where they'll hook readers up to an fMRI, look at their brain as they're reading, and I mean, realize your brain when you're really involved in a character is going through the same emotions and and in some case physical processes as that character as that character does things so if i'm out surfing mavericks and you're really immersed in that chapter and you're feeling the adrenaline like you really your brain is going through that process too and then you're learning the same lessons so you anyhow, did that
0: to me knowingly, huh? <laughs> you knew you knew we were gonna get uptight about that, didn't you?
2: Right. I mean I wanted it to have some uh or seat characteristics so it wasn't just a boring science book. But anyhow, this is I thought I need uh this is gonna be tough to do, um, to have a personal story and then also have a lot of science and reporting in there and so I wrote a draft, it was very personal, um, and it was very, but it would then jolt into these uh, other chapters that were pure science. And it felt very like you were riding in a really bumpy truck or something where. Gotcha. You yeah. And so then uh, the first draft, I sort of said, you know, this is from the heart, and I have a lot of good research in here, and I talked with my editor. and we just realized it needed to be more integrated, and so it was really a process of just um, weaving it was like weaving a um, a tapestry and trying to um, make it flow and and i, I you know i don 't know if I succeeded, but it was it was
0: from my point of view you did I found myself sometimes. Just watching the construction of the book and how you were able to make it so personal and yet offer so much of what was happening in terms of the science of fear. It it really fascinated me. I, I don't know that I've seen a book as skillfully done as this on any other topic. And I certainly haven't read one about fear that was done this well, um, and I'm thinking, man, he's really putting himself out there. How well, scary was that to, to, to put? I mean, you were bare bones. You, you let people see right in, and, and it was it was wonderful because so many people could learn from your decisions, from your reactions. Uh, I, I think, you know, I think it's, I really. Truly think it's going to help a lot of people live through some of their own fears, but I can tell you when you were out there with Maverick, I wanted to say, "Don't go." <laughs>
2: Don't <laughs> well, that's go. good. That's 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 probably the reaction I was hoping for, but and that's how I was feeling too. And uh, you know, half of my brain was saying, "Don't do it," but it, it is scary. I mean, that is the scariest thing to make yourself vulnerable, especially I think for men. Um, as I talk about in the book like my dad's side of the family and actually my mom's too I come from this lineage of soldiers where all these men were in the military wonderful men but not like the most emotive (laughs) and and so but my mom is very is a therapist and so I have these sides of me where I could be very cagey and I uh, just kind of want to tough it out um, and be a man. And then I also had the side that really needed to an outlet. I think all of us do. Um, and it's sad that men often don't feel able to say they're afraid or say they're feeling nervous about something. And there's even evolutionary biologists speculate the reason we have facial hair is still is. um to hide emotion, because that was adaptive—you didn't want to show your enemy your your cards, or you know, your friend maybe. But that uh, that's sort of outdated. You know, we're not in that time anymore. And no, we've um, that. Yeah, and, and so I think the that I, I hope that this book gives people permission to say, I'm afraid, and, and that's okay, that's human, because it's really in being honest about our fears and, and embracing them that they can cease to be debilitating. And they sometimes transform from being fear into being something very positive, some uh, sort of energy that moves you forward. And um,
0: you know, I've read some articles that really indicate, and some say right out, that all fear is bad, you should never have, you know, you should overcome all your fears. What do you think about that?
2: I think it's a lot of pressure for people because, uh, one, it it then puts people in this perspective that maybe they're doing some work on themselves um, psychologically or spiritually, and then they say, okay, I've arrived, I should be fearless. And... But then, of course, you know, they still get nervous and stressed out. And, of course. Yeah, you know, and, and then they're hard on themselves. Like, it becomes this big pendulum swing where you're either this fearless, brave warrior or you're, you know, want to cower into a hole because you're not meeting those expectations. And I think, uh look... Everybody fears. I mean, it's part of our biology that we have this thing deep in our brain that's been there for hundreds of millions of years, the amygdala. It sends out signals when it feels in danger, faster heart rate, sweat on the skin, adrenaline, cortisol, shuts down the immune system, the sex drive. It's not, I mean, we put this big label on it, like it's fear, it's bad, it's uncomfortable. But actually, when you break it down to the biological process, it's just... Something happening in your body that uh, is saying let 's uh, put some energy into this because it we we don 't want to get injured or we don't want to get hurt um,
0: exactly, but don't you think that we need some fear I mean uh, there are th- times that you know I get a book that i I look, think in the beginning, I want to look at it, but when I get it, i 'm thinking, oh my goodness i don't want to read that' But deadlines loom, and I have to get busy, and I wouldn't if I wasn't a fair, afraid that I would really let somebody down, or I'd bomb on the show, or, you know, Absolutely. fear motivates me.
2: Yeah, it, it's um, and I think to take it out of the context of fear is bad, there's that, I, I, I break it down as as positive fear motivates you to, to positive change. We're afraid of another Newtown shooting happen again, so... We want to act. We want to use that to pass some legislation against these high-capacity magazines, etc. Same when you're when you're scared of of not getting something done in your job, and you get a little adrenaline in your system, and then oh, it's like having a shot of espresso. You have some energy to do that. the The problem is that we have where fear comes from in our brains is very primal, and it makes these blanket statements that are inaccurate. So you get bit by a dog like i was in mexico your amygdala doesn't say let's be let's stay away from that dog it suddenly says let's stay away from all dogs and by the way that town in mexico sort of makes me queasy too
0: yes. it makes these
2: stamps and we need to learn to update uh the system to be more precise so we can say okay i'm not going to pay attention to all of that bad news that's on cnn today that doesn't apply to me but I am going to pay attention to this, you know, the fact that my daughter is acting really strange and it's freaking me out, and maybe we need to have a talk. Or, you know, um, so there are good fears and bad fears, and, and paper tigers and real tigers, and I try to get into that in the book of how to, how to differentiate.
0: And, it, you know, it doesn't matter whether fear is real or imagined, it still brings about the same results in terms of our physiology.
2: Right, and that's um, unique to some extent, I think, to humans in that we have our brain developed like an onion, so you have this fear, primal uh fear, deep in the brain that acts unconsciously, and then you have this outer layer of the onion, the cortex, that does all of our logic and reasoning, and they're not speaking the same language, but the 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 rocket scientist in your brain, the the outer layer, can basically send a message (laughs) to the lizard brain, the amygdala, and say, um, and imagine a a bad outcome. Say, oh no, what if I get into a car accident? What if the plane crashes? And that thought uses that same old system to send adrenaline, faster heart rate, etc. But that's it's a bit of a silly system because. You know, the, when you're going to bed at night and you're thinking about what if a plane crashes, then you can't sleep because your body's telling you to act. But there is nothing to act on. And so sometimes these future anxieties and fears can help us, but most of the time um, when they're chronic, uh, they, they can be really debilitating. They affect our health. So when you're chronically stressed or thinking about, threats in the future that haven't happened yet. Uh, your immune system is constantly shut down. You get sick more. Your brain isn't function, functioning optimally. So that's why we dislike fear. But fear in a, in a in an acute way, when you say, okay, here's a legitimate fear. I need to act. That's the kind that we still, still sometimes need in our lives. And um, there are various ways to get the brain to... Act on the good fear and let the rest go. Meditation is one of them. Uh, Stanford neuroscientist Philippe Golden, in my book, talks about this study where meditators, just after eight weeks of 30 minutes a day of meditation, they, uh, they basically react with more fear to a stimulus, say a scary face, um, than non-meditators, but then they go back to calm more quickly. So it's almost like they're reacting with the pre- they're present, and they're saying, "Is this a threat? I need to act." And then they're saying, "Oh no, it's not a threat. It's past. I'm back to normal." Whereas most of us, um, when we're feeling really scattered, we tend to dwell on fears and anxieties and, and let them spin us out of control.
0: And on that note, we're going to spin out of control just a little bit and go to break. We're going to talk more about fear when we come back, so stay tuned.
1: Find out what's happening on the World Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword World Talk Radio. Step up to the microphone. View the finalists right now on voiceamericakids.tv. America's next great star is waiting to be discovered. Step up to the microphone is an exclusive presentation for VoiceAmerica.tv, where you can see and hear America's next top child star. The program is hosted by Voice America's own Cassie Frazier and new episodes will be available every week exclusively at voiceamericakids.tv. You can say you saw them at the beginning of their superstar career. Tune in to voiceamericakids.tv. World Talk Radio presents a new kind of health awareness talk show, The Sharon Kleiner Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water show host, Sharon Kleina interviews leading scientists to discover how each of us can become proactive in protecting our personal health environment in an increasingly unhealthy world. Every show offers new information that could save your life. The Sharon Kleina Hour is health from an environmental perspective, your ultimate source for a personal environmental lifestyle. Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel.
0: Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon. My guest today is Jamal Yogis, who's written a book called The Fear Project, which is not a textbook, let me tell you. His subtitle is What Our Most Primal Emotion Taught Me About Survival, Success, Surfing, and Love. And it's an outstanding book. And I just learned during break that Jamal is talking to us from Hawaii. I understand you're on a book tour. Is that true, Jamal?
2: That is true. Yeah, I am here in Honolulu. I'm actually looking out at uh, Waikiki right now as we we speak. Yeah, I know. Um, And I'll be at the Barnes and Noble in Honolulu on Saturday, this Saturday at 1 p.m. Hawaii time, and and then I'll be on Maui, March 8th in Paia, Maui, at the community center at about 7 p.m. So. Yeah, for folks who are in Hawaii, um, that's where I am now. And then uh, later in the month, March 22nd, I'll be in San Diego. And um, So, yeah, the the fear tour continues.
0: The fear tour continues, but I take it it's not a fearful tour.
2: No, fortunately, I mean, it's interesting how fears come back. And I did have that public speaking fear again during my first... uh, talk that i gave in san francisco but one of the characters in the book who's like an extreme ultra swimmer he does these hundred mile non-stop swims and i wanted to figure out how he gets over the fear of pain and such and anyway he and i did a swim
0: stop swimming a hundred (laughs) miles
2: right he uh he And I uh, did a swim to my first book reading in San Francisco where we swam across the San Francisco Bay to Book Passage, which is on the water. And uh, I was feeling really nervous about my talk that night, and I wasn't quite sure what I was going to say. But then we did this, you know, hour and a half swim across the bay in the freezing water, and that was uh, sort of a fear, another separate fear, you know, how was this swim going to be? And once I got to the talk, I was... Calm, And it was an amazing trick that I really recommend to people who do fear public speaking is to basically go and do some exercise, you know, sweat a little, maybe push yourself to do an extra mile on your run or an extra sun salutation in your yoga or something because what you're doing is uh, fear over the course of the last 200 million years, has been there to motivate us to action. I'm, I'm out of food. I need to run over that mountain to get some more. Uh, there's a bear. I need to run away or fight. So the body is expecting to be able to have a physical outlet at that time. And oftentimes we're at our desks or we're sedentary when we're the most stressed, and there isn't an outlet. And so it just... The cortisol, the stress hormone, just builds up in the body, and yeah. then we spin our wheels. But when you do a run or, or a swim or or um, something before, uh, say a speech or any time you're stressed, you have an outlet. But also, it tricks the amygdala, the lizard brain, into saying, "Oh, I must have. We must have acted. We must have escaped yeah, that I've, threat. we
0: must have taken care of this. <laughs> right? The bear's so, not there anymore."
2: It's been or really what? interesting. I I I would like to see some studies done on people exercising before a speech because they do all sorts of different studies with public speaking, but I haven't seen that one yet.
0: That's a very interesting one. I bet some colleges would love to have that as a dissertation topic.
2: Yeah, I I uh, I hope so. That that's the main issue with most of this uh, brain imaging is that it's very expensive, so they tend to focus on things like you know, what, what's happening in the brains of psychopaths. And it's, it's hard to get funding for saying, let's study um, something like exercise because um, the pharmaceutical companies want to fund, you know, their pill, yes. pill studies for re- releasing anxiety and stress when there's all this free stuff that works very well.
0: It would be interesting, too, to see some studies on what brainwave entrainment does in terms of relieving fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, helping you deal with it. It should basically, I would think, have the same effect as meditation that you, know, you may be more alert to the fear, but you recover to it from it much quicker. I, I don't know. I just
2: find mm-hmm. the whole
0: brainwave entrainment um, idea wonderfully fascinating. Absolutely. Uh, yeah.
2: Anything that makes you more present um, should be able to do. To do that, um, including exercise and meditation, things where you're uh, where you have to be present, uh, I think will allow. Philippe Golden put the metaphor in a surfing uh, metaphor for me, where he said, you know, when you're present with fear, you're like a really skilled surfer because you're calm between waves. You're just waiting out there, but then when a big wave comes, you react with a lot of energy, and, and then once the wave passes, you let it go. So I, I think oh, that's nice. true with all emotions, actually, is that uh, emotions, positive emotions even, can be really de- debilitating if we attach to them, if we can't let them go. And negative emotions can be debilitating if we let them just hold us down or... Um, Sort of get carried away with them, but I think the surfing metaphor is really a good one. Where a good thing, a good emotion comes into your life, and you say, "Oh, here's a good wave. I'll, I'm going to ride it." But I know it's impermanent. I know it's going to pass. And when a bad wave comes, uh, you 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 also realize it's impermanent. You say, "I'm not going to attach to this. I'm not going to ride it." And uh, it's going to be here for a while. It might kick me around for a few minutes, but Uh, I don't have to attach to it or identify with it um, because it's really like the identifying with fear uh, that makes people feel bad about themselves and saying, I'm a scared person or what's wrong with me, why can't I do this? Um, Because the fear itself is actually not that big of a deal. It's just a natural response that's coming from an unconscious part of your brain, but it's the judgment of the fear that actually can be really uh, uncomfortable and can stick around and make it chronic. Uh, so there's that famous quote, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. And I really think in terms of emotions, we really have nothing to fear but the fear of fear because it's the fear of fear or the judgment of fear or the being frustrated and angry with fear that mounts it to a level that is... is is. Uh, panic and paralysis and exactly. anxiety disorders. But if we're comfortable with fear and just say, okay, this is natural, I'm going to forgive myself for feeling afraid right now and uh, and try to turn it into some positive action, then uh, I think it, it's just a natural emotion.
0: And part of that is that learning to be in control of your own thinking, which is not an easy thing to do, but our our mind wants to go back to it and back to it and back to it and every time it does it builds it so it's you know sometimes a vicious cycle and if we can live in the moment and if we can get control of our thinking
2: it can be a help so yeah, how's the book I, tour I going I back so. to the
0: book tour how's the book tour going
2: the book tour has been a lot of fun it's every event is different and i always becomes something of a group therapy session where people have, <laughs> you know, people come in and say, I'm afraid of elevators. Or I, one guy said, I'm afraid of strawberry ice cream. You know, what can you oh. do for me? And um, I'm not a psychologist, but I always try to talk about the research that I've found. And my main point to, to most of these people is uh, that exposure therapy helps. I mean, the, the, the ancient brain needs to be exposed in positive ways to the object of fear in order to feel safe around it. It's just like a baby. Like with our baby, you know, he was afraid of his crib, and so at one point I even got into the crib with him and showed him that it's not a cage, you know, and then we played in the crib with toys and stuff, and gradually he's warmed up to it. So we do that with our kids, but then we become adults, and we have these big smart brains and we think we can talk our way out of fear but talking ourselves down I mean just think about it when you're really stressed out and you're going calm down calm down calm down you know the words don't really help it's uh, we have to be have given five of those speeches to feel like okay this is okay to be on the podium or have uh, driven that scary road to know okay I can do this so um so, you mentioned the fear of flying, you know, to to take baby steps towards flying, maybe going, uh, looking at photos of planes while listening to some peaceful music, or all these things re uh, reassociate the object of fear to the amygdala, but it needs to be an experience, and um, so looking at a photo of a plane, and then gradually, you know, maybe going in some... On a plane with someone you feel really safe with, and holding their hand, and uh, a lot of people choose to avoid the fear because they say, "Oh, it's just so much easier to not do that." But it's a really, um, it's really empowering when you do realize, "Oh, it just takes a little bit of exposure, a little bit of going towards these fears, um, to untrain them." And so that's usually what we talk about on the book tour. Um, in conversation is how this exposure therapy works, and um, but the, but it goes all over the place. I mean, fear is is um, so much more present in our lives than we even choose to notice because uh, we're so good at repressing it and so good at turning away from it, and it's the avoidance of it that makes it persist. You know, what we resist persists.
0: Exactly. And on that note, it's time to go to break. This is Irene Connell with my guest Jamal Yogis saying, stay tuned. We'll be back with more in just a moment.
1: making it easier to listen to the world talk radio network live wherever you go on iphone blackberry or android download it from the apple itunes app store blackberry app world or android market best-selling authors find tantalizing new books learn the latest healthy living tips and be inspired to coach yourself to success on star style be the star you are every thursday from 3 to 4 p.m pacific time on world talk radio the oprah of the airwaves cynthia bryan and her health hero daughter heather Brittany fire up the airwaves with upbeat positive life-changing talk radio it's the power hour on Star style. Be the Star, you are Thursdays from 3 to 4 p.m. Pacific on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Come play with us. Never say never, live your the World Talk Radio Variety Channel.
0: Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlin. We've been talking with Jamal Yogis about fear. And I want to ask him first, Jamal, I forgot to ask you earlier, how do people find you? Where do they find you on the Internet? How do they get in touch with you?
2: Well, uh, my name, Jamal Yogis, is, is my home, my website for all my projects, jamalyogis.com. But the easier one to find is just fearproject.net. If you Google fear project, it's the first thing that comes up. And um, there's loads of uh, scientific studies about fear and blogs and blurbs, videos, uh, things like that. Uh, So that's really the, the clearinghouse.
0: Speaking of videos, there are are three of them on the self-improvement blog. If you'll look over in the right-hand column, you'll see videos. You can see Jamal, here, what he has to say. And it's J-A-I-M-A-L, Yogis, Y-O-G-I-S, if you Google him that way. I think it's important that you find him. I think it's important that you read the book. this segment of the show is always so short. I want to be sure and get this question in because this is right on your front cover. That it that fear taught you about love. Tell us about that. How did this fear you experience teach you about love?
2: Well, uh, going back to what you were saying earlier, that there's all these books that say, you know, you're either but fear is ba- totally bad and you shouldn't have it and you should be fearless um there's all these books that say an article saying you're either coming from fear or you're coming from love and there's no in between i've actually found that to not be true and i think most people if they're honest with their introspective and, and look at their emotions they feel stressed or nervous all the time and still can feel love and the interesting thing about this is um it comes up in the science now. There's a, a study that I talk about in a book where rats are freezing with fear when they get shocked. Um, but when they have a little bit of oxytocin in their system, and oxytocin is a neurochemical that's released when uh, we feel love, when we're making love, when we hold hands, when we hug, uh, giving birth, um, and that oxytocin allows the rats to not freeze. And they're still afraid, so to speak. They have fear in their bodies, but they're not freezing from the fear. They're able to move. And I've, I've been thinking about this a lot because life is stressful and scary, and there's, you're never completely safe. There are things that can happen, and that's life. But if you have love in your life... It's almost like the love is is moving you through the fear and allowing you to keep acting, to keep moving, to keep moving with compassion, and um, and so that's one aspect of of fear and love. I do think for people who like to reflect on the fact that am I coming from a place of love here or fear, I do think that's a good thing to reflect on. But just physiologically, fear uh, and love often combine, and I think. It, Love is um, is a place where uh, fear can actually become uh, a performance enhancer. For example, when you have a little bit of stress or a little bit of um, fear about, uh, let's say, an athletic event, a, r- a race you're going to run, that's actually scientists have found that that's good. You need. Uh, a little bit of challenge to be in your optimal performance state, but if you're judging that fear as saying uh, and saying, "Oh, I don't like this," then you're going to maybe send your fear over into um, the paralysis state that's going to freeze you up or slow you down. So, if you feel yourself going over into that state, what can you do? Well, you can think about somebody you love and care about. Maybe they maybe your wife or husband or children are in the audience watching you race and thinking about them and thinking about how lucky you are, how grateful you are for them, can actually keep that emotion of fear in a, a beneficial place. And so, um, so that's one thing that I learned, but also I was just incredibly grateful to be writing this book about fear when I happened to fall in love with my wife Amy. Because I was a, a total commitment phobe and uh, the idea of being a father was very scary to me. Losing my time, uh, my personal time, was very scary to me. And because I was researching fear, I was able to catch my patterns and not go into them like I usually did in, in uh, patterns that were set up for watching my parents divorce. And so... Even though I was feeling afraid uh, of getting married or proposing, I was able to say, "You know what? I still feel this love. This love is still there, and it's powerful, and uh, and I can act despite the fact that I feel afraid." And that really is where courage is, right? I mean, Mark Twain said this, courage is not the absence of fear, it's acting in spite of it.
0: Exactly. And, and I think this was such a wonderful story. It's You know, it was just a compelling part of your book, how you worked through this, you know, in front of everybody. I, I, I think a lot of men and women can be helped by seeing how you came to be comfortable um with marriage, with Amy being a permanent part of your life. I, I frankly was it just overjoyed when you did. I, I really <laughs> got into it. Is there another book on the horizon for you, Jamal?
2: There is. I'm talking with my agent right now about we have a an outline for it. I'm not quite ready to talk about it, but it'll That's be okay. along the same lines of um, really trying to probe the big questions and bringing in science but also, um, you know, being human about it.
0: Oh, keep me in the loop on that one. We're right up to the end of the show. I hate to say that. What's the final thought you'd like to leave with our listeners today?
2: Well, I would just like to thank you so much for having me on the show. And um, there's a a quote that i ran into when i was thinking about doing the book by Eleanor Roosevelt do one thing that scares you every day and i decided i would do that as homework because i was maybe going to do this book and it seemed like a good thing to try but i was doing a little bit of like oh um here i go i'll do something i'll talk to a stranger that if that because make, it makes me feel a little nervous and as i did that I got into some bigger ones, like, oh, why why haven't I pitched my book yet? Um, why am I dragging my feet? You know, and and saying, okay, my fear ah. homework today is is doing this. So, and and it, the results were amazing. I mean, I'm still astounded by the fact that so many doors opened just by doing one thing uh, every day. That made me feel a little uncomfortable if it was in the direction of a dream I had or. Uh, Something that I wanted to accomplish, so I, I would uh, like to encourage anybody listening to to try that out and, and not just think oh, that worked for him, but it won't work for me because um, fear fear is a tr- is tricky and um, but going towards it uh, can be really uh, yield amazing results.
0: And overcoming it gives you such a wonderful feeling of empowerment. Ah. Next week's guest is Dr. Joy Van Sant, who's going to be talking to us about education. Education as it could be. We're all interested in education and the future of our children's education. So you might want to come back next week. Jamal, thank you so, so much for number one, writing this book. And for being with us today,
2: thank you. It was really, a, really a fun time.
0: We'll have to have you back when the next book comes out. I wish you well on this book tour and you know, um, with any project that you over, you know, that you undertake. This is Irene Conlon with my guest Jamal. Yoga saying thank you for being with us today. Come back next week for more of the Self-Improvement Show.
1: Thank you again for joining Dr. Irene Conlon for the Self-Improvement Show. Please listen again next Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Remember that improvement out there starts in here.